Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. To Luke chapter 12, we're actually back in the gospel of Luke. So Luke chapter 12. Now I don't want you to raise your hand if this has ever happened to you before. So please don't do this, but I'm sure it's probably happened to you before. You were really excited to attend an event. And you ended up getting there late after it was almost over. And you walked in a little embarrassed because you pretty much missed the entire thing. Because by the time you got there, it was over. And you screamed in frustration, why didn't I set my alarm? Was it time change Sunday? What's going on here? I can't believe I got it wrong that I showed up late. Now, I'm going to give a very dignified sermon illustration to start this off with this morning. And so it comes from the 1983 movie Vacation with Chevy Chase, okay? So some of you may have seen that comical movie Vacation. It's a story of Clark Griswold who takes his family across country. They leave from Chicago. They go across country to California to the, to the dream destination that their family wanted to go on, Wally World this great amusement park. And so there's this comical adventure where Clark Griswold takes his family all the way across the the country and they finally get to Wally World and they get to the parking lot and the parking lot's empty and they think to themselves, we're the first ones here. This is awesome. We're the first ones here. And so they begin running to the entrance and they play the Chariots of Fire theme. They've got this big grin on their face. They're so excited to get to Wally World. And finally they get to the entrance And there's a sign there that says, sorry, folks, we're closed for two weeks for repairs and cleaning. And their mascot's this big um, moose with a big nose. And Clark punches the the nose of of the moose, and he goes crazy. And he basically gets his family to sneak in, to break into the amusement park. And they begin to ride all the rides, and it gets kind of crazy. But there's something that's very interesting, what Clark says. Clark gets really upset, and he looks at his family and says, He owes us. We watch his movies. We play with his toys. He owes us. And you can feel the frustration mounting as Clark Griswold tries to get his family to go experience this theme park. Clark was not prepared as he brought his family all the way across country to a park that was closed. He didn't think to call ahead. This was before the internet back in the 80s. He didn't think to check. He just assumed they would be open. And when he got there and it was closed, he says, you owe me. You owe me entrance into this amusement park. But it was too late. The park was closed. Now, why do I bring up the movie Vacation and the theme park being closed? Some of you are like, he's lost his mind this morning. It'll make sense in a few moments as we read Jesus' words in our passage for today. And so I want us to read Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 54 to the end of the chapter. 
He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Now, I want us to remember what's going on here because this is at the tail end of Jesus' teaching on some very important things. He's talking about his second coming and being ready for his second coming. I want to remind you, go back to verse 40. Jesus says in verse 40, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready for the second coming. And then, as we looked at a few weeks ago, he's talking about this baptism that he's going to undergo by fire on the cross. Just a few verses earlier, verse 49, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that I would have already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with fire, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. The second coming, the, the cross, the need to be ready for that final day when the fire falls. And so Jesus ends this discussion with two final points. And then he's going to transition as we move into chapter 13. But he, he gives two final points. And this is what we're going to explore today. And here's the, here's the first point he makes. He says this. You must acknowledge Jesus for who he truly is. You must acknowledge Jesus for who he truly is. Now, he gives two illustrations from the weather that the people of that day would have known. Everybody would have known about this. If it starts getting dark and cloudy in the west... Now, remember where Israel is. If you look off to the west, that's the Mediterranean Sea. There's going to come a storm off the Mediterranean Sea. If you look off to the west, it's going to rain. Everybody knew that. There's a storm brewing on the Mediterranean. You look off to the west, it's going to rain. And then there's the other illustrations from the south. Okay, the deserts to the south of Israel. If there's going to be a scorching wind, then it's going to bring a heat wave. There's going to bring these hot winds coming from the south. So every Israelite knew rain came from the west, heat comes from the south. But Jesus says, you do not understand the present time. You're able to understand the weather patterns. You're able to talk about the weather. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. And what does Jesus mean here? They don't understand the present time. What Jesus is saying is, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is on the scene. I am the king, I am the Messiah, I'm here right now at the present time. Now what have we seen happen in Luke's gospel so far? I mean, we've been in this gospel for for many months now. Back in chapter 5, Jesus healed a paralytic. Back in chapter 7, he raised the widow's son. In chapter 8, he healed Jairus' daughter, who was also dead. In chapter 9, he fed the 5,000. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing the sick. He's been preaching the good news of the kingdoms. And yet the crowds here 
are unwilling to interpret the sign of the times and understand who Jesus truly is. They know what the weather is, but they don't know who Jesus is. They're blind to these spiritual matters. They're rejecting their Messiah in real time. Because he's been preaching some pretty weighty, heavy topics. He's been drawing their attention to, to his second coming, the cross, all of these things, how he's going to create division in families. This is not weather talk. These are some deep subjects. Now, when you really don't know someone, it's pretty safe to assume that talking about the weather is a pretty non-offensive subject. Okay, you're sitting in Walmart, standing in Walmart, you're standing in line, and it's the winter time, and, and we need rain, we need, we need moisture. Nobody's going to argue with you when we talk about how, yeah, we need moisture. Or in the, the summertime, it's really hot out there. I can't believe how hot it is. Nobody's going to sit there, and it's not going to be divisive when you talk about weather. When I was growing up in Colorado Springs, we understood this, that every day in the summer, around 3 o'clock, it would rain for about a half an hour. It would come over the mountains. It would come over Pikes Peak. It would rain at 3 o'clock, and then it would be done. Now, out here on the eastern plains, we get it in the evening. So in the summertime, it takes a while to travel over here, and usually it dumps around 7 or 8 at night, and sometimes it dumps hail. We understand these things about weather. But these people... They could read the weather, but they couldn't read, quote-unquote, the weather signs, the headlines that Christ was right before them as their Messiah. So what's Jesus' point? Don't reject clear evidence of God's power right before you. Don't reject the clear evidence. Acknowledge Jesus for who he is. Understand the present time. Understand the time is now. Understand that Jesus is being preached to you even right now. Acknowledge him. Trust him. Receive him. Own up to your sin and understand who he is as your Savior and Lord. Now, some people might object and say, well, well, Pastor Sean, you're being kind of hard on the crowds here. Because after all, the crowds hadn't seen the resurrection yet. So don't be so hard on them. Well, let me just say something to you. They had enough information. They'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and yes, they did not see the resurrection yet. But let me just bring it back to us. We're on this side of the resurrection. We've got the entire New Testament. We know more than they did. So here's the point. We have way much more information than these people did about who Jesus truly is. And so there's no excuse for any of us in this room today to reject Jesus Christ. We should acknowledge him for who he truly is in this moment right now. So that's Jesus' first point to the people. You can talk about the weather. You can understand the weather but you're not understanding what's happening right now. You can't read the present time. And the present time is right now. Trust Christ alone. Acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior right now. Now there's the second point that Jesus makes. And He makes this point with a parable. A parable that everybody would understand at that time. Now, Jesus is not handing out legal advice per se, but he says this in verse 58. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way 
lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you into prison. Okay, here's the point of the parable. If you're truly guilty, better to settle out of court than to go to court and have a worse sentence. Now, if I was a defense attorney and you were guilty, whether you liked it or not or whether we like it or not, what do good defense attorneys do? They say, settle out of court. Try to plead. Get a lesser sentence because you never know what's going to happen when you go before a judge and a jury. You may get a worse sentence and have a longer sentence and have to spend more time in jail. So if you're guilty, confess your guilt, but settle out of court. Don't go before the judge because if you do, you may be thrown into prison and never get out until you pay the last penny. What's Jesus' point here? Is he giving legal advice? What's his point? Here's his point. Make peace with God before it's too late. Settle your account with God before it's too late. You're not going to be thrown into a prison. You will be thrown into hell. And by then, it will be too late. You see, here's the reality like the man in the parable, all of us are guilty. All of us are guilty of a crime against the Lord. All of us are guilty in our sins. All of us are going to face the judge, the Lord. All of us are guilty. All of us are going to face the judge. We're going to have to stand before the righteous judge. And if you've not made peace with the judge, if you've not settled your accounts with the judge, the sentence upon your life is to be sent to hell forever. And here's the problem. You can't mount enough compelling evidence to overcome your guilt. You can't bring in enough eyewitnesses. You can't bring in enough pieces of evidence to prove your innocence. You and I are guilty before the bar of God's justice. And you and I deserve hell so have you settled your case with the living God well how do you do that how do you settle your accounts how do you make peace with God well you go back to Jesus's first point you acknowledge who he truly is you trust in Jesus who settled the account for you on the cross when he died in your place to take your sins. If you don't settle your debt with Jesus, that debt remains on you, and it will be settled forever, but it'll be settled forever in hell. Make peace with God before it's too late. One of the first steps in making peace with God is this. You've got to admit you're guilty you got to admit that you have a, a guilty sentence upon you. And here's the problem for most people. Many people don't really think that they're guilty. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as the guy down the street. I'm not really that bad. I know I've done some bad things. I know I've said some things that I'd like to regret. But at the end of the day... I'm pretty good, because after all, I've gone to church. I've been in church my entire life. I sing praise songs. I give to the poor. 
I'm a spiritual person. Do you know what the false prophets of Israel said to Israel when they were not willing to admit their sin? In Jeremiah 6, 13-15, From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, and at that time I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. You see, the false prophets were coming to Israel and saying, Peace, peace, everything's cool. You're all right with the Lord. Go ahead and live however you want. He's not going to hold you accountable. He's not, you're not guilty before God. Peace, peace. It's all good. You're not really that bad. Does the Bible really teach that we are guilty before the living God and deserve punishment in hell? It's an unpopular message, Pastor Sean. What do you mean? Does the Bible really teach this? Well, I'm glad you asked, because it does. Romans 3, 9 through 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. That word under sin means under the sentence of sin, under the penalty of sin, under the power of sin. Every single person is born under condemnation of sin. And Paul goes on to say, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Are you serious, Paul? Not one? Yes. Universal, absolute sinfulness of every single person who's ever lived. Not one is righteous. Okay, Paul, what is the wage of this unrighteousness? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the payment for this sin? What do you deserve for this sin? What's the, what's the payment for the guilt? Death. Ephesians 2.1-3, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are guilty, spiritually dead, separated children of wrath. And the only way to have peace with this God is through the cross. The reconciliation that comes through the cross. And because of God's love, God's amazing love for sinners, He provided a legal way for your debt to be settled through Jesus Christ. God sent His one and only Son to take that fire, that pain, that suffering of guilt God poured out his justice on Jesus in our place. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Here, and we sang about it earlier, but let me just state it this way. Our personal guilt before a holy God is great. Yet God's grace for sinners is even greater. 
Your guilt is great. My guilt is great. But God's grace is greater. God's mercy is greater than your sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You are a vile sinner, but there's a greater Savior that can take care of your sin. Your guilt is great, but God's grace is greater. So, we are guilty, but yet through the cross of Jesus Christ, this this baptism of fire that He's going to undergo, when He's going to undergo God's wrath on the cross, He's going to bring peace. And so, let's look at the peace that Jesus brings. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When you trust Jesus Christ for salvation, a great transaction takes place. All of your sin is transferred to Jesus and all of his righteousness is transferred to you so that in God's courtroom you are now forever, once and for all, not guilty before the living God. You have peace. Your account's been settled forever. You have peace with God. You have access to his grace. Then Paul goes on down in that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. The Bible says before we trusted Christ for salvation, we were God's enemies. Most people don't wake up and think they're an enemy of God, but the Bible says God's your enemy and you're his enemy and you're at war. And through Jesus Christ, you've been reconciled. You've been brought together. You've been brought back into a right relationship of peace. You've been saved from wrath. You've been brought into a right, reconciled relationship. Your account has been settled before the judge. Colossians 1, 20-22. Through Him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of His cross. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He's now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
Again, before your salvation, you were alienated. You were hostile. You were separated. You were an enemy. You were a child of wrath. You were guilty. But through Jesus Christ, he's reconciled you to the Father. He's brought you back into a right relationship. He saved you from wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, here's the beauty of the gospel. We are guilty and we deserve hell. But because of the blood of Christ on the cross, he settled our debts. And when we trust in Jesus for salvation, we can stand before the judge on that final day and not have to fear his wrath or fear being thrown into hell because our our account has been paid in full. We're forever not guilty before the living God because of what Christ alone has done for us. And this should drive us to our knees in humility and thankfulness and joy because God did not have to do it and yet because he loved us so much he did and so the the question for you is have you settled your accounts with God because I want you to notice the very last statement that Jesus makes in this parable what does he say Verse 59, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Now, this parable is not teaching that you can pay yourself out of hell. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is basically saying is it's impossible to pay yourself out of hell. Once you get there, you're there. It's too late. You can never get yourself out. You will have to suffer eternally. Think about the rich man and Lazarus. We'll look at this in a few weeks. Jesus tells these chilling words about the permanence of hell. In Luke 16, 26, besides all this, between you, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Now, you have to go back and read the full context there, but What basically it's saying is there's a great chasm between heaven and hell. What's a chasm? Like the Grand Canyon. A huge expanse. Once you are in hell, there's no way out. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Be reconciled to God. Make peace with God before it's too late. Have you ever thought about how kind God has been to you? Number one, you're not dead, and you should be. I could probably, we could probably sit around here and talk about stories about how some of us probably should be dead in this room, but God spared us. Whether it was a car accident he spared us from, or whether it was from a, a surgery, or whether it was from something, you're alive today because God has shown you grace. And number two, Jesus has not come back yet. 
God is giving you every opportunity to make it right with him before it's too late. Because you're not dead yet, and he's not come back yet, and you still have time. And his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Romans 2, 4. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is giving you a kindness today in in hearing this message about your need to be reconciled to God. I don't know your hearts. God does, but God is giving you an opportunity this very day to hear a message about being reconciled and don't wait until it's too late. His kindness today in having you give, have another breath is his kindness in saying, here's another opportunity for you to repent, to believe, to place your trust in Jesus, to settle your accounts, to be reconciled. You know, in this context, Jesus has talked a lot about fire being kindled. Back in verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. Fire. Have you thought about fire for a while? There are two things that fire brings. The first thing that fire brings is utter decimation and destruction. My heart still goes out to those that suffered loss in Boulder County with the Marshall Fire just came and whipped through that entire community and just decimated. A fire destroys and decimates everything in its path. But have you also thought about what fire does? It refines. Positively, fire burns away the dross, burns away the dregs, and brings the impurities out of the way so that there's pure, fine, unadulterated gold so when the fire falls and it will how's the fire going to impact you will you be refined and cleansed by the fire of amazing grace because your counts have been settled or will the fire come and you be destroyed in hell because you did not settle your accounts it's too late You must acknowledge who Jesus is. Why do you not know how to interpret this present time? You know the weather, Jesus says. You understand all these things about the weather. Well, big deal. Do you know who I am? Have you trusted in me? Have you settled your accounts with the living God? Make peace with God before it's too late. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you hear Paul's heart? We implore you, we beg you, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Make peace with God before it's too late. Sadly, there'll be many who end up in hell, and they'll be just like Clark Griswold. He owes me. Why am I here? He owes me. I was a good person. 
I never killed anybody. I was a good citizen. God owes me. I'm entitled to heaven. God, don't shut me out. I deserve to be here. You owe me. And just like the theme park was closed, heaven will be closed to people that think that God owes them salvation. Heaven will be closed to those who think they can bargain with God. Heaven will be closed to those who think their good works or their spirituality or being a good person will earn them a spot. Heaven will be closed to those who think they're entitled to be there because they were religious. Yet, heaven will be open to those who admit their guilt. I'm guilty. I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be there. Heaven will be open to those who place all of their trust in Jesus Christ to save them alone. Heaven will be open to those who've confessed their sins and own up to their sins. Heaven will be open to those who've embraced Jesus' finished work on the cross. And heaven will be open to those who stop demanding that God owes them and simply accept the free gift of salvation that you didn't deserve in the first place. Don't be like Clark Griswold when you got there too late and say, God, you owe me. God owes you nothing but hell. You're guilty. I'm guilty. But God has provided a way for us to be reconciled through Jesus Christ alone. He is our only hope, our only answer, our only Savior. John 5, 24, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes them. If you're here today, you've heard Jesus' words. You have no excuse. You've heard his words. Do you believe them? Have you trusted in Jesus for eternal life? Jesus says, listen, if you believe in me, you do not have to face judgment. You've passed from death to life. You've been reconciled. Make peace with God. Don't wait before it's too late. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Only you know the condition of the hearts of those that are in this room this morning. Only you know who has and who has not made peace with God who has or has not settled their accounts. And so my prayer, I'm like Paul, Lord, my prayer is I would plead with anybody in this room today that has not settled those accounts, has not made peace with God, has not been reconciled to God, that today would be the day of your salvation. Would you cry out, I'm guilty. I deserve hell, but I trust in Jesus and what he did to provide a way for me to be reconciled, to be forgiven, 
to be accepted, to be freed. Holy Spirit, would you do a work of opening blind eyes and hard hearts and granting the gifts of repentance and faith. We are so thankful, Jesus, that you are our peace. You have reconciled us to the Father. You've bought us out of slavery to sin and brought us into your family. You died and rose again that we might have eternal life. And so, Lord, the most important question any of us can ask when we leave this place is, do I have peace with God? Do I know in my heart of hearts, deep down, where, where nobody else can see that I'm truly saved, that I've truly asked for that forgiveness, that I truly know that, that I'm, I'm going to heaven? And Lord, my prayer is that every person that walks out of this room would have that assurance deep in their hearts to know deep in their hearts that they, they're going to heaven they have peace with God, that they have been reconciled. So thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for giving us an oppor another opportunity even this day to hear a message of warning, but also a message of hope that, you <laughs> that our guilt is great, but your grace is greater. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Jesus, we're thankful for that. We love you and we honor you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.